Today we are going to listen to two people from Lenovo. Anyone that has heard in the feed before, our quick interview with Paul Walsh, CDO, Chief Digital Officer of Lenovo, and their accessibility consultant, Harbin Germer, will know that they're in for a treat in today's episode. Obviously, Harbin, she's the star of the show, and you'll see why if you haven't heard the earlier episode. But yeah, listen to how Lenovo prioritize accessibility and want to make the world a more inclusive place. Oh, it's 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 okay. I, I'm not the rock star, so you you got to save that. I'm 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 not the rock star. Listen, uh, it's Paul. I'm Paul Walsh. I'm the chief digital officer at uh, uh, Lenovo, and we're really excited to be uh, partnering with uh, AbilityNet. Um, I'm trying to bring this bring this whole uh, venue and uh, session together. It's it's extremely important to us um, as we think about you know, disruption that's happening um, across the globe when we, as we think about the uh, innovations that we have seen within in technology. And, and if, you, if you do think about that digital uh, transformation that's happening, you'll see it's happening across every sector that we can think of, whether it be retail, financial services, healthcare, all of these areas are being disrupted through the advancements in technology. And it's important for us all to think about how do we ensure that we deliver you know, much smarter technology for all, for everyone, to ensure that it is inclusive, no matter what gender, ethnicity, or if there's disability, that we are actually thinking about all when we're building our technologies, not just technology for technology's sake. And we have made many advancements Think about all the ways that you shop today or you bank today. How many of you carry your bank around in your pocket? I know I do. And it allows me to be able to, you know, think in a different way, act in a different way. And what we have seen is just a growth in three areas specifically that we're, that we're really thinking about and looking at. And we're going to talk a little bit about. One of them is around a cognitive or cognitive... Um, commerce and the growth of patrons or the growth of data. I heard in, in a session earlier on a lot about data and the impact that data is having. Well, in 2020, there will be 44 zettabytes of data on the planet. 44 zettabytes of data. One zettabyte of data is 10 to the 21. Or if anyone is as old as me, one zettabyte of data is equivalent to 250 billion DVDs. 44 zettabytes of data that's going to be on the planet in 2020. 90% of that data was generated in the last two years. The vast majority of the data is tied to an IP address. 44 zettabytes of data. Because we're in London, 44 zettabytes of data is approximately 100 million printed copies of the British Library. There's a lot of data in there. But it's not just about the amount of data. It's literally understanding the patterns within that data. The ability for us then to utilize those patterns and ensure that we can build great outcomes, outcomes for all. What we have seen, however, is in those patterns, or as we're building our AI systems, we're really thinking of mainstream. And we haven't been as inclusive as we need to across industries. 
for everybody, to ensure that all can benefit from this digital transformation that we're going through. All of this data is being generated by a growth in connected devices. 2020, there will be 25 billion connected devices. My wearable, my phone, all generating data, connecting to all of your wearables, connecting or generating data. To the extent that it's really disrupting all of these industries we talked about. The ability to walk into a store, a cashierless store, pick up whatever it is, whatever product you're looking for, and be able to walk out of that store is now a reality. When I was growing up in Dublin, that was called stealing. Now it's called a customer experience. About 13 years ago, however, when myself and a couple of my colleagues put the patent together for, in essence, a cashierless store, or as we called it in the patent, the ability to conclude a transaction based on a geographical location, we were thinking about how do we make this work for everyone? How is it that when I walk in that there is facial recognition that it understands it is me? It's able to give me contextual relevance based on where I am within the store and then allows me to pick up that good and walk out. But yet, what we've seen and we've all heard stories of, facial recognition not working for many different parts of our, of our world. And we have to fix that. We have to make sure that we deliver that for everybody. Because if we don't, we'll see a digital divide. And we're seeing elements of that digital divide already, but that will be expanding. The second area that people really have to think about is how do they move technology to the back? How do they make it invisible? How do they take it out of the way to ensure that we're, we are delivering the real experience that we're all trying to achieve? If technology gets in the way, again, it hinders your customer, your user. And the, the problem that that can actually lead to then is that those loyal customers today become your former customers tomorrow. So as we're thinking about and partnering, we're always thinking about how do we remove technology and make it more seamless, put it in the background. Let me give you an example. You know, I traveled over for this event, like probably many of you, and as you, you, you're on, a, it's a long flight. I flew in from Seattle, it's a long flight. I got off the flight, I just wanted to get to the hotel room. But I walk into the hotel and there's approximately 10 people deep all trying to check in. And the question I was asked is, hey, would you like our, my digital key? We have a digital key. We can actually send it to your device. Would you like it? I'm thinking this is fantastic. It's a digital key. So they send a digital key to my device. And just as I was walking away, they went, wait there. Can we just give you a plastic key just in case? Now, this has been a long flight. If they didn't know my patrons. If they knew my patrons, they know I want to be on the fourth floor, furthest away from the elevator, but they put me on the 10th floor. So I get up there to the 10th floor, I had two bags, long flight, two bags. I drank a lot, long flight, and I was really wanting to get into my room. So I took out my device and I waved it in front of the door, right, expecting the door to open. And it fails. I tried it again and it failed again. I took out my plastic card and I tried to utilize that, 
And that didn't work. So 10 floors back down again, three more people in front of me trying to check in. And I asked them, hey, you know, what's going on? I can't get into my room. I really need to get into my room. And they said, ah, well, if you use your digital key, it deactivates your plastic one. <laughs> and the only way you can use your digital key is that you have to connect to the network. No one even told me I had to connect to the network. And this is just a prime example of if we don't think about the end-to-end -end experience for all, the impact that it can have. The idea was a great idea, but it was a really bad experience. And that is not just, that's, only, that's within a mainstream environment. When they're not thinking about the end-to-end -end experience. For a disabled environment, it gets even worse. And we truly have to look at all of that end-to-end. -end. The third thing, thing that we need to think about is really around co-creation. How can we build together? How do we ensure that together we can actually deliver the right experience? I think of this as an omni-channel across brands, where brands are actually working together in order to deliver a true end-to-end -end experience. An example of this is the great partnership that we had with, with Intel. You know, building together a solution uh, some years back for Stephen Hawkins to ensure that we can provide a much richer experience for what he was looking for and what he was trying to do. Imagine if we, if we could not work together to deliver that experience, not giving Stephen Hawkins everything that he needed to, to come and really educate us. It would have been a, a bad, 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 bad world. So we're really happy we could do that. But as we're looking at it, we're thinking about the ecosystem of which we can work with many partners, many of you here today, to ensure that we are building a solution and solutions for all. Ensuring that we can actually deliver a much more diverse and dynamic world and a better human experience for all. In doing that, we actually sat back at, uh, for a while and Talked, uh, thought about how can we deliver that? What do we need to do? I'm a part of the Lenovo Diversity and Inclusion Board, and we, we spent some time thinking about it. And then the idea came out, why can't we partner with someone who's a true advocate that can truly talk about and help us think about the solutions that we're building? That can ensure that we're doing human design right from you know, the initial thoughts of a product all the way through to bringing it to market and in market. I'm really excited to introduce Harbin, who is our first accessibility and inclusion advisor for Lenovo, to really help us change how we think about inclusion and accessibility, to really ensure that we take the next step and deliver a much, as I said earlier on, a smarter technology for all. So let me uh, just uh, introduce Harbin and, and invite her up onto the stage here. Thank you. Hi, Harbin and Milo. Fantastic. Great. So, so first of all, I think that the first question is maybe we should talk about the technology and how we're actually interacting right now and what that means about that technology uh, being invisible. 
great question, Paul. So hello, everyone. My name is Haben, and on stage with me is Milo, my seeing eye dog. I also have a Braille computer on my lap, and I don't have a name for the Braille computer. <laughs> with the way it works, I'll hold it up. There are Braille dots on the bottom, and I run my fingers over the dots to feel the letters. Those of you who know assistive technology, this is a Braille Note Apex. And when I was growing up, as a deaf-blind person in a sighted hearing world, I faced numerous barriers. Most of the people in my world did not know Braille. My parents did not know Braille. Most of the people in my world did not know sign language. My parents did not know sign language, though they had dreams of studying it one day. And I, I really wanted to be able to connect with people. All of us are social. All humans need a way to stay connected. So I kept asking myself, what can I do? What can I do? And one of my strengths is my sense of touch. So I was exploring solutions that relied on my sense of touch. In 2010, this Braille note came out that had Bluetooth, and I realized I could connect with a keyboard, and that would give me the opportunity to hand the keyboard to sighted hearing people or people with disabilities, and they could type, and I'd be able to read in real time what people were saying. So this solution opened up opportunities for me. People with disabilities are always innovating new solutions. My communication solution is unique to me, but it's not unique for people with disabilities to come up with solutions. And that's kind of what we're celebrating today, design driven by disability and how disability can increase opportunities. So as Paul talks, or as we get feedback from the audience, I have a typist in the front row who's typing what is being said and I'm reading it on the Braille display. That's fantastic. That's absolutely fantastic. Hey, um, Haben, I introduced you as our first uh, accessibility and inclusion advisor. Um, can you talk about two things? One, what does that mean for you? Um, but also, as a technology company, what, what, what should we expect from Lenovo? And what should it mean? And how, how are we going to change in, in how we're doing things today? Throughout history, many organizations have ignored disability. And I want to shift the dominant story from the dominant story currently is that people with disabilities are a burden on society. We're not. But the dominant story based on ableism keeps isolating us. So I want to shift to seeing disability as an opportunity for innovation. People with disabilities are talented, and we've been creating solutions all throughout our history. These are hidden stories. Very few people know about them, but we need to get them out there so they're more known. I've, I've explained one story of how I came up with a solution that would give me more access to conversations and information. There are many other stories like that out there. Sign language. It's actually a form of innovation. Deaf people all around the world 
have created visual sign languages so that we can have access to communication. If you can't hear spoken language, you can create a visual language. And that's what communities have done. The dominant one here is British Sign Language. In France, French Sign Language. In the US, they have American Sign Language. And deaf-blind people also come up with solutions. There's tactile sign language based on touch, where you can put your hand over someone's hands and feel the signs. There's print on palm, where you write letters on the palm. So communities of people with disabilities drive innovation, come up with solutions. One based on tech. Many, many years ago, around 1808, there were two friends in Italy, one blind, one sighted. And they wanted to be able to send each other letters. This was back before email, back before <laughs> even braille. And if a blind person wanted to write a letter, they had to voice it for a sighted person to write it down for them. These two friends couldn't use that method. They had to keep their letters secret. They were love letters. So they thought, hmm, what an interesting design challenge. <laughs> How can we come up with a way to write that doesn't require sight? And they developed one of the earliest working typewriters. With a typewriter, you can memorize the layout of the keys, feel it, and type based on touch. And that's one way to write letters. Nowadays, lots of people write letters on keyboards. And some of the fastest typists are touch typists. Disability drives innovation. Love drives innovation, too. <laughs> so there are lots of these stories throughout our history. And if companies center disability design, they can come up with the next big thing. Increasing hiring of people with disabilities is one way to help reach that goal. We're one of the largest minority groups, over a billion people with disabilities. So if a company increases hiring people with disabilities, it can tap into a very dynamic and innovative talent pool. Fantastic, fantastic. I want to open, the, open some questions up to maybe the, the floor. Is there anybody out there that has some questions? I, I've got a question. Um, I'm interested in um, how you think change will happen in Lenovo, Paul, and then obviously from Harbin's point of view, how she's going to influence you. Yeah. How, what do you see that relationship looking like as you start to work look, together? We, when, when, the way we look at it in Lenovo is that there's, there's two different elements. One, there's, there's, it's cultural, right? We've got to ensure that we are, from a cultural perspective, we're building um, in, inclusivity into our DNA in everything that we're doing. It's not just an afterthought or because that if, if it's not in, in you know, uh, really a part of your DNA, it, it doesn't become so seamless. And, and, and so we're really, you know, with our diversity and inclusion board, we're really thinking about all aspects, you know, disability, uh, minorities, you know, uh, gender, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, so that has to be really brought into her. And so we're really spending a lot of time and effort on that. This, the second area then is, you know, from, as we think about from ideation all the way through to delivering of uh, products and product sets, is how do we ensure that we build them the right, right first time? How do we think about the needs of all? 
right, when we think about smart te smarter technology for all. And, and this is, you know, as I said earlier on, this is, a, you know, the reason for, you know, having a great partner with, with Hub and to really ensure that we are doing it and thinking about it the right way, right? Um, that we are doing it and looking, you know, seeing it the, the, the way it should be. And, and, and I've got great, um, you know, as part of the, the, you know, when I think about the entirety of the Lenovo team, you know, uh, great aspirations on, on where this is going to take us. Cool. So, Harbin, with that incredibly simple brief in mind, um, <laughs> <laughs> where are you going to start? So stories influence the organizations we create, the products we build, and the futures we imagine for ourselves. A lot of people think of disability at the very end, and that doesn't really lead to great design. So if we can start by having positive disability stories at the beginning, that can influence positive designs. So culture, stories can help create more accessible products. Cool. Um, so I'm going to pick a couple of questions off of the thing here. Um, this is a question for Harbin first. It's a nice one. What hasn't been invented yet that would make your life easier? <laughs> Touch is a really powerful way to access information. And I feel like there's so many possible ways to combine touch and technology to help people access more information from the environment, connect with other people. So I would love to see more innovation in that area. And a related question, what barriers remain in your day-to-day -day life? A big barrier for me is digital services that are not designed with access in mind. Accessibility guidelines already exist. They're available for web developers and app developers, but a lot of people are not following them. So if I try to use a new app or service and there's a barrier, that limits my access to information. There are some things I used to be able to do in the past that I can no longer do. Some hotels, have installed elevators with touchscreen systems that are not accessible to deafblind people. And I used to be able to just enter the elevator, read the braille on the display, select the floor, and get out. But now there's an inaccessible touchscreen, and I'm denied freedom of movement that I used to have. Sometimes technology can open doors, and sometimes it slams them. That's a great example. I think a really good one, yeah. Um, Paul, you talked about the massive amount of data being created in the world in general. Does Lenovo have a plan for how it's going to use that data in this particular space, you know, driving innovation and accessibility? So, so the, first, the first principle of, of data generally and how we think about it is, is obviously the security of that data, right, and making sure that we, um, one, that we, we keep it highly secure, two, that we don't uh, lose any of the trust of our customers that may want to opt in. Um, but what we have to really think about when we, when we all think about data, and when we think about this across all uh, organizations, is how do we ensure that we're enabling that, the data to have or provide our customers or users with much richer contextual outcomes? 
um, being able to just to provide them with um, the right outcomes at the right time. It's really kind of how do you take you know, identity and be able to tie that to um, location awareness and be able to drive an outcome. And for example, the, the one I gave you is within a store. Not, not just, you know, if, if let's say, Mark, you are you know, a particular brand's um, uh, top buyer online, you, you get a very personalized experience. But then when you walk into the store, they don't know who you are. Now, think about what, if you've opted in to allow them to understand that you're in that store and they can have a richer contextual conversation with you and even give you guided navigation, even from a disability perspective around that store, the impact that that could actually have on you. So I think, you know, from from our perspective, it's, it's really how do brands work together to ensure that we are delivering together a richer outcome, and, and that's what we're trying to drive towards. Cool. Thank you. Um, I've got a cheeky one here. Uh, Harbin, I'm going to read it, just so that you know that I'm reading it and not making it up. Harbin, let's talk about the juicy stuff. What about dating and inclusion? Have you tried any dating apps and are they accessible? (laughs) So some of the dating apps out there have some accessibility features. Others don't. And if they don't have accessibility features, it makes it harder for people with disabilities to to find relationships and connect. So I, and I'm answering your questions from a technical perspective. (laughs) (laughs) So we want all services to be accessible to people with disabilities. Companies that are working on dating apps should make them accessible and the guidelines to build apps Accessible acts already exist. Why not reach out to one of these largest communities? Over 60 million Americans with disabilities, over a billion people with disabilities around the world. And relationships are beautiful across disabilities, across disabled and non-disabled. So the more diverse we can make our communities and develop relationships, the better everyone will be. That's right. That's right. Yeah. I, um, just one question. I mean, we've got a lot of people here, um, a number of organizations here. Harbin, here's a question that you know, I know we, we've spent some time in Lenovo thinking about it, but just for others, and I would love to get your point of view. You know, where, where, where do organizations need to start? In order to get the ball rolling, what do we have to be doing today if we haven't done it already? Start by hiring more people with disabilities. We're talented. We have advice and ideas to share. We don't want to be engaged with just at the end. We are customers, but we're also designers and engineers and advisors. So have us included in all aspects of the product, in all aspects of the organization. I've, I'm, I've had wonderful employment opportunities and also awful employment opportunities. I was told, work hard and you'll be successful and you'll avoid employment discrimination. But it touches even the most talented people. When I was in college, I did really well in school and decided I wanted to try seeking work too. And one of my friends told me, I know a place where you can get a job, Alaska. 
And I said, sure. We went up to Alaska, and they were right. There are lots of employment opportunities in Alaska because of the tourism in the summer. And even uh, the employers even seek applicants from other states to try to fill those many roles. I applied to all kinds of positions, dishwashing, filing, do, doing laundry in hotels, tactile activities. Unfortunately, my parents made me do chores, so I was expert in all those activities. <laughs> Despite all my talents, the employers still didn't want to hire me. They still assumed I was incompetent. I was told, work hard and you'll be successful. But if there's ableism, if employers are assuming we're incompetent, that becomes a barrier and the employers miss out on opportunities. Eventually, I found an employer who took a chance and believed in my abilities. She hired me for a position doing the front desk at a gym in Juneau, Alaska. And my responsibilities were taking care of the cash register, managing the machines. One day, a woman came to the front desk and said, a treadmill isn't working. I followed her to the treadmill and tried the on button. <laughs> Nothing happened. I tried the other buttons on the machine. Nothing happened. I put down my cane, and I felt the machine from top to bottom. On the bottom, there was a switch. I flicked the switch and the machine word to life. The woman told me, oh my goodness, I didn't see that switch. <laughs> I told her I didn't see it either. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes tactile techniques beat visual techniques. People with disabilities can show you new ways to do things that you hadn't seen before. So increase your teams, increase hiring of people with disabilities, It'll make the whole organization more innovative and talented. That's great. That's great. We've got a couple of minutes left, so I think uh, let's let's see if we can get a couple of more questions in. Yep. Um, this question, Harbin, how do you ensure that people or colleagues send you accessible digital communication? What's your strategy as a communications technique? So successful digital communication, I do like using social media. Social media has received many complaints over the years. As a deafblind person, it has expanded the number of conversations I have access to. Offline, I can't eavesdrop on conversations. <laughs> but on social media, I can eavesdrop on conversations and skim through the different conversations that are happening. So tech, if it's done thoughtfully and accessibly, can empower a lot of people. So to answer your question, I, I, I get messages through social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, email, and messages are, are another way I get information. So yeah, basic digital information. So cool, thank you. That's great. And then a final one, um, how did you find writing your memoirs? Any challenges or moments of uh, inspiration that came up? So I wrote those stories specifically because they teach us something about ableism. Ableism is the idea that people with disabilities are inferior to the non-disabled. We're not inferior. 
but society thinks we are. So those stories, true stories from my personal life, give people examples of ableism, ridiculous situations where I was denied access, some funny, some deeply moving. And at the very end of my memoir, there is an accessibility guide. So if anyone feels inspired, they have easy access to steps they can take to make their organizations more accessible. The book is called Haben, the Deaf-Blind Woman Who Conquered Harvard Law. And now here with Paul, we're going to try to conquer Lenovo. <laughs> that's fantastic. Hey, that's fantastic. fantastic. Listen, um, Haben, I want to say... Um, on behalf of everyone here, thank you very much uh, for spending some time with us all. And what we'd love to be able to do is take a few minutes, uh, maybe outside. If anyone has any, any questions, they want to spend a little bit of time, uh, please come and join us. Um, but thank you, everybody. We appreciate your time, too. Thank you. Thank you.